everybody welcome to another episode of the anything but typical podcast with the anything but typical angel rutledge uh and i can't wait to hear more of her story because i just feel like i'm still getting to know her after julie salander mutual friend introduced us and said you guys got to meet each other and then as soon as we did, I at least understood exactly why she said that. So I am really thrilled to have you on this podcast with us, Angel, because your story, even the little I know, is just mind-boggling. And so it's going to be really fun to unpack that with you. So as we start each episode of the Anything But Typical podcast, here's the scenario. So you and Dan are on your way into the stadium at the Charlotte 49ers football game because you are going to watch your son, the running back, set a new school record. And somebody sees you as you're in your regalia and they start talking about you and they say, hey, that's Angel Rutledge. They don't realize that they can be heard and everything that they're saying, you understand exactly what they're saying. What would you want somebody to say about you? Oh, that is a uh, that's a great question, Gary. Uh, I would actually be running to my seat to make sure that I didn't miss the kickoff because somehow the only couple games we've ever missed being the first 10 seconds, our son has scored a touchdown very quickly. So uh, in, in high school, um, so I would be running to the seat. But if I did overhear that, <laughs> I think I would hope that people would be talking about how I was somebody that others enjoyed being around because they felt like their potential was higher when they were around me um, because they felt like they really mattered and I could see the value that they brought to any situation or any mission. And so they just felt like um, they were more of who they really were designed to be because we were together. More of who they were designed to be. Well, well said. It's that's why in an anything but typical episode, we still have a typical way to start this because getting to the heartbeat of, of people <laughs> is, is an amazing way to kick it off. So for those who are not fortunate enough to know Angel directly, I will give a quick background. Angel was the co-founder, COO, and CMO of Sign Up Genius. She has a multitude of advisor, board member, and board advisor experience. She's an angel investor, no pun intended, and she's the CEO <laughs> of Meetify. So, Angel, I want to go back uh, in your career at first because you, with all the things I just listed, one of the things I left out was you were a middle school teacher which in what probably seems like a past life. So was teaching your original plan? Teaching was my original plan. Actually, I would say my first original plan was in second grade and I wanted to be a nurse because for some reason I thought that nurses were in charge of the food that patients got. And I thought that they could get you know, better if they had really good food. So I was going to help people get better by making sure they had good food. So that was second grade. But when I actually got to my first career, um, it was in teaching, as you said, middle schoolers, and I loved it and thought that that's what I would want to do um, forever is teach um, seventh graders language arts. 
and ended up doing that um, for several years and then had several different things that I've done. Um, the least expected was being an entrepreneur. So, and there's a gap, right, between teaching and entrepreneurship, which we'll get to in a second. But what led to that change or transition in your, in your life? If you had this, of, I'm going to be a teacher, you love doing it. What was the catalyst to make you change out of it? So, yes, as you said, there were a number of years in between. Um, and the catalyst, honestly, was a problem that my husband and I were facing um, in our everyday life. We'd actually gone from having two children to four through adoption overnight. And our communities, um, the number of those communities exploded. And so we found ourselves suddenly organizing and leading so many different things, we could not keep up with them. Um, and so for me, becoming an entrepreneur was all about having a problem that needed to be solved. And um, we realized that there that we had the skills to be able to tackle that problem. And thankfully, my husband, Dan, uh, is a computer programmer. And so he actually um, had the skills to be able to take um, what was at that time a paper sign-up sheet and put it online. And then I could help with all the different um, things, all the different communities that I was organizing at that time. So, um, so both our kids and then the communities that, um, that we were involved in were, were really the impetus for becoming an entrepreneur. One of the, the trends, which you even alluded to a little bit there is your, <clears throat> sorry, your involvement in community and then also the mission, purpose, and faith kind of ingrained in your life. So I, I want to dive into that for a little bit, but can you talk to us about the role that that's played in your life on a personal level? And then we can talk more about the experience that you've actually done with it after that. Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, I think I probably alluded to this a little bit, even in talking about, um, you know, helping, wanting to help people figure out what they were um, designed to do and their greatest potential is. And that's, I think, what gets me super excited. Um, it did back when I was teaching and uh, when I was writing and when I volunteered um, and then all the way through Sign of Genius and now Meetify. Um, I really, my my faith informs that. So I really believe that God has created each of us um, as very unique and valuable individuals uh, to reflect who he is as a creator and as an organizer. And so, um, so through that, um, I can have this unique lens to be able to see um, the same in other people. And so um, whatever I'm doing, it it's that that's where that comes from uh, and wanting to go on mission with other people in whatever God seems to be leading at that time. So I want to go back because <clears throat> we kind of glossed over it a little bit, but I want to go back to your teaching. You love it. Then you've adopted two additional children and complexity hits in a new dimension, <laughs> right? With Absolutely. Schedules and all that kind of stuff. Ha were you still teaching when you made that adoption or not? No, actually at that time I had been uh, helping uh, because our because we brought our kids home from Liberia, West Africa, we were actually um, 
partnering, and when I say we, I mean a group of adoptive families, their friends, their communities, uh, people who um, were all inspired to partner uh, with this church planning organization that through civil wars of 14 years, ended up having hundreds of kids that they were caring for. And so um, so I had basically been fundraising, uh, helping to train um, other folks on mission teams going in and, uh, and then even helping parents uh, through their adoptions, post-adoptions and figuring out, okay, how do we meld cultures uh, and help our kids grow up in an American setting, but still um, very much connected to their Liberian um, culture as well. Could you could you lay out the the timeline a little bit of that? So when when did you do the adoptions? When were you then helping other people have helped the transition of of those kids coming in? Things like that. Sure. So we were started in our adoption process in two thousand and five. And uh, finally, we're able to bring our kids home in September of 2007. Uh, and so through that time, we saw how much difficulty um, the, the folks were having in Liberia, um, just merely surviving. Unemployment was 90%. Um, our, the kids that they were caring for, um, you know, as I said, there were, there were hundreds or about 350 at that time. And um, it was very difficult to uh, to raise the funds that they needed and sustain um, the orphanage that they were at. And, and uh, mostly that was just simply because they were post 14 years of civil war. So it was very much mm-hmm. in um, recovery mode and, um, and just needed um, some folks to come alongside and serve um, because the the folks in Liberia, the leadership there were amazing and so capable, uh, but just needed um, some other partners in other places who could come alongside and help. And so that was um, 2007 when we brought the kids home within a year, um, Dan was starting to build the first uh, you know, the, the first MVP of Sign Up Genius. And then we were taking folks back over to Liberia uh, by the beginning of 2009. So Sign Up Genius actually ended up helping a lot with, with that piece. And uh, long-term then it was great. The, um, the organization there was able to um, get to a much more sustainable place and they're um, fully able to operate the what are now mission boarding schools there that's quite a journey to go from all right i'm going to be a nurse and i'm going to make people well through good food which we got to connect you to the clean juice people (laughs) you probably already are (laughs) i love clean juice i do (laughs) oh man yeah they well you have that in common with them uh because you're also on the podcast as they were one of the first ones. Um, but that and going into teaching and then this transition, like all of a sudden, it, it sounds like all of a sudden, but it was a, a period of time, right? Where you were not teaching, you were engulfed in this 
you know, partnering with these Liberian refugees. Dan's moving on this sign up genius kind of first wave of it. And it continues to grow. What, how did things transpire for, for you to become like, all right, I'm taking the helm of this thing, or I'm really, you know, I'm going to let Dan code and, and I'm going to actually run the rest of it. Right. Sure. Well, that, that was definitely a process as well. So, uh, so at the beginning as, as we've talked about, he uh, was able to build the first version and then, uh, and then I was doing a lot of using <laughs> the tool and, uh, and getting a lot of other people uh, onto it. Uh, and so, um, so, you know, through all of these pieces of the nonprofit uh, school for our kids, um, he was doing some with uh, their little league sports. We were both using it at church. So all these different communities we were introducing it to, and then they, those folks realized, wow, this is really powerful. And so they began to use it as well. Um, so, you know, we would figure out, oh, you know what, this is great, but it just needs this one more piece in it. And so he would go and build that. And it just grew organically little by little, um, didn't do any fundraising for it. And he was doing it actually as a side project. So it was even a part-time gig for him um, as it started to just grow organically. And we were using it and figuring out both from our own lives and other customers' lives, what it needed to do better. That's how it started to grow. And so by the beginning of 2011, um, he needed to hire another developer and all of his work was beginning to, to it was really had gotten the full time. And so I said, you know, I'll, I'll come in and just take a few things off your plate. I'll do some marketing and I'll do a little bit of customer support. I'll hire the first person because, you know, it would probably look good if you weren't the only person at the company, um, you know, and so that's how it really started. And I would just start to take things off his plate, which ended up being all of the business side of the business. Um, and, I loved those pieces while he really loved coding. So it ended up just working out really well that I loved the marketing, the operations, um, the building a team, and uh, he loved being able to build the product. Ooh, sounds like Thrive With Her to me, doesn't it, Ben? It's exactly what it is. <laughs> they were way ahead of the curve. <laughs> um, Angel, let, let's keep going down this path a little bit. You guys start this almost just out of a necessity you guys had personally, right? That you were able to, Dan was able to code stuff. You were able to start using it and it slowly went into, well, maybe we should hire somebody. So there's somebody else in the business, but talk about that transition from it being you solving a need for yourselves to an actual full-fledged business where, where you, you start to think about it a little bit differently. Sure. Well, it was uh, so... At the very beginning, it had advertising on it. It was a um, freemium tool. So this is, you know, end of 2008, the next couple of years, freemium was really the model um, for brand new software. If you could get a lot of users on it, um, the value for it was very high. And um, that, you know, the way you could make revenue at all was through advertising. And so that's the way it started. Um, thankfully, we didn't have a lot of entrepreneurial 
entrepreneurial knowledge, because if we did, we would have realized this needs to have millions and millions of people on it to be successful. And we would have been way too intimidated, I'm sure. But um, but thankfully we didn't. It was good to not know that. And so um, so we, you know, we we started that way and little by little it began to grow and started to make money. And so we hired the first person when there was enough money to pay them a salary. And, you know, that was beginning of 2011. It was through that next year of advertising growing and growing that we started to see, hey, these free customers that we have, they're starting to need more tools besides just this online signup. Um, it's beginning, it's come in from the bottom of organizations through volunteers, but it's moving up to the top. And now decision makers are realizing we need to use this for our whole organization. So let's, we need a way to not have advertising. We need to connect all of these signups. You know, we need to add a bunch of other features, um, which is what we then realized, hey, this is more power users and they would pay for a subscription of it. Uh, and so that's what led to another revenue stream. And then a couple more followed after that. So that was kind of the, how do you get your first person on staff? You can pay them. That's when you do that. And then, you know, and then the next next step was, okay, let's get some other revenue streams. Yeah. What, what were so some I got a question. The, oh, sorry, Gary, you go. I'm, I'm sorry. Hey, um, Angel, it's so interesting. This, you know, a lot of people in Charlotte know of Sign Up Genius. And by the way, the F3 Nation uses Sign Up Genius. <laughs> so <laughs> for all of our workouts. Uh, I remember so. when that started, actually, Gary. That's it's funny because Dan <laughs> is an, he was a long ago F3 guy. And I remember when they started using it. Oh, how cool. That is so cool. Yeah. Uh, David Redding and all those guys. He was also on the podcast, uh, so if anybody hasn't listened to David Redding, Dread, you need to. Um, but as you guys are a tech company and you've sold it since then, a lot of people in the tech space feel like, oh, well, we have to have this idea, then we have to go and get some angel investors, and then we have to, you know, proof it out, and then, you know, go through that whole beauty pageant of, you know getting somebody to put money in it, but you guys took the let's grow it slow approach, which is was out of need, not necessarily out of this dream of, hey, let's go build the next tech company and sell it for a bazillion dollars. You 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 identified a need. And I love the fact that you guys grew it organically and you took a very pragmatic approach in a very non-pragmatic industry oftentimes. You know, because there's a lot of money that has been chasing deals, especially in the tech space for a long time. And I just think that's really refreshing to hear that. Yeah, you can do it. Did you guys ever take any outside money as you were growing before you sold it? We did not. Uh, we didn't. And we had, you know, for a number of years, we had interest in it. But um, but we actually had a number of years that no one contacted us. It was actually um, very interesting. We knew we were flying under the radar um, of, of uh, anyone who would invest 
in a company like Sign Up Genius. Um, and we saw that as actually a um, one of our superpowers, <laughs> sort of, I would say. Um, we, yeah. we were glad that it was not an industry that a lot of um, venture capitalists were looking at and use that to grow. So I wouldn't say that every tech company has the ability uh, to go as long as we did without uh, taking outside capital. Um, but we were thankful that we did um, at the time. And um, surprisingly, a lot of tech companies are able to bootstrap and the majority of businesses are able to bootstrap and become successful. It's just that we tend to see those um, those big funding stories in the news. And so, you know, yeah. it's, it's easy to think that's the way that it's the only way that it's done. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I want to talk about your, your leadership in the business a little bit. You went from not thinking you were going to be an entrepreneur at all, right? You were going to be this teacher and then you were doing all these other things. And now all of a sudden you're running this business and growing this business. What were some of the, the struggles or hurdles that, that you had to overcome personally growing this business, like I said, without that entrepreneurship background? Sure. You know, the biggest thing that I remember is just the um, staying ahead of the growth, which is a great problem to have right. um, when you're an entrepreneur. But that is what I remember all of us on the team trying to figure out, okay, it's getting bigger so fast. How do we make sure on the tech side, the site stays up? And it's working really well for everyone. Uh, on the customer service side, we keep up with our customers and serve them phenomenally all the time. And, um, you know, and our staff, how do we not burn everybody out? So um, those were all, um, you know, they were mostly organizational problems. Um, and, and those were the kind of problems that I like to solve. So, um, you know, it was, we had a great team. Um, mostly people who had not been in tech before, um, but were really fast learners and um, very organized and capable. Interesting. And one of the things Gary and I have noticed a lot on here, partially hence the name, anything but typical, is that when people come from different backgrounds, right, outside an industry or are unexpected entrepreneurs, it's almost a strength more than it is a weakness. So what were some of the things that you were able to take from your past experience, whether it was teaching or all the experience with Liberia, anything that's outside of business that you think made you a better business leader? Sure. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is knowing a lot of other women uh, who had taken a break from their career and um, were interested in getting back in, um, but not into the 50, 60, 70 hour work weeks. Uh, and so um, that that was a huge piece of um, the growth of Sign Up Genius and um, something that I would not have thought to try and probably would have thought was a bad idea had I known um, a lot about working in um, technology or the corporate world, I would have thought, oh, you have to have people who are willing to work crazy hours and have this background in, in this industry. Um, but 
I didn't know any better. And, you know, we didn't know any better, but we knew, um, we knew some women who were really smart and super capable at doing a lot of things, um, with very little time, (laughs) uh, moms. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I had seen that in the volunteer space a lot. And so those were, um, those were a lot of the first people that we hired and, um, a number of them are still with Sign Up Genius or doing uh, incredible things in other places already. So I want to I want to tag into that one a little bit. <clears throat> when I came back to Charlotte uh, almost eight years ago, I was working for a publicly traded company that spun off from Deloitte, and what they found was they they had a huge bias for hiring women who were moms. Why? Because the ability to multitask and move fast exactly, <laughs> and thoroughly. And it's like, you know, being a mom, I think really is got to be one of the toughest jobs uh, on the planet, period. And, and so I just think that that's very interesting that you also just out of necessity noticed that. And so I'm curious because a lot of people are like, well, how do we find this workforce of amazing people? Because they aren't on LinkedIn a lot of times. Um, were they primarily through your own personal networks? Yeah, some were through personal networks. Um, there was, but but there are so many, so many hiring sources that um, have access to these these women, and um, and not only women. There are also uh, so many men who uh, are also in in a similar place. Uh, and you know, at that time, it was called MomCorp. Uh, in Charlotte, and I know there are a number of um, of hiring sourcing companies uh, who are also connected to busy um, moms and dads who are keeping a lot of balls in the air, um, but also would like to do um, to do something in the time that they have to keep their careers moving forward. So yeah, when people tell me I don't know where to find them. Um, I don't know where to find people who are underrepresented at my company, um, whether that is women or people of color or, you know, different, um, have a different skill set or background in education. I always say, uh, you know, go talk to the, go talk to anyone who's part of one of those subgroups and they will tell you how to find them. Well, that's great advice. Mm-hmm. So, you started, like I, I said earlier, right? You had started this out of necessity. It grew to the point where you were trying to keep up with the growth. It sounds like this wasn't something you built in order to sell, right? You were building it to solve a problem instead. At what point did you start considering the idea of an exit? That was not until a year before uh, it, yeah, it was probably a year before uh, we sold the majority stake of Sign Up Genius, and I don't know even at that time if we were seriously thinking about it. Um, so we we were getting to that point where we could look around and say, you know, this is quite large, and a lot of people are depending on Sign Up Genius to work well. 
you know, all of the stakeholders. So uh, not just our staff uh, and and our you know our family <laughs> um, and our staff's family, but millions of customers. You know, there were at that time probably twelve to thirteen million people using Sign Up Genius every month. And so, um, you know, Dan and I would look at each other and say, okay, what happens if we get in the car or we get on a plane and we don't get off, you know, this is get, this is pretty risky, um, at this point for everyone. Do we need to think about, um, you know, what, what happens, uh, if one or both of us, um, can't keep doing this. And so that was a piece of it. Um, and then also just the, you know, the, the risk of course, um, to our ourselves and being um, parents of four kids and going, okay, um, at what point do you say, hey, we need some help with this and we need some, we need to de-risk this a bit. Uh, so we just started to set, you know, talk to our third um, co-founder, Michael Vadini, who is also a tech entrepreneur and had, you know, had been in the beginning with Sign Up Genius um, and said, okay, between the three of us, Hey, maybe we should start figuring out if if uh, now is the time um, to sell a majority stake of this and bring in some private equity folks who could at least keep this going if something were to happen um, to Dan or I. Mm-hmm. What did it look like in those those months following that? The realization of the conversation that hey, we're kind of the keystones here. If something were to happen to us, that's a major issue maybe we should look at bringing people in. What did those next months look like of that becoming more of a reality, whether it was things you had to do in the business or personally wrapping your minds around it, anything like that? So we thought about it. That was maybe the summer of 2016 when we just, between the three of us, started thinking about it, talking about it. Uh, We spent some time that fall looking at uh, investment bankers and bringing on a team uh, to run a process for us. And so we really launched into it in January of 2017. And uh, that the next six months, five to six months um, of running that process were pretty insane. Uh, I, I did not, had I known that um, I was going to get as much education and take on a second full-time job. Um, I, I'm not sure if, if we would have done that. I know that I would have hired a CFO um, before we did that had I known what was coming. But it was a great education. And we had a great team of both people who were running Sign Up Genius and the investment bankers who helped us through it. Yeah, you mentioned, had I only known, um, I think that's the kind of common link with everybody that has ever gone through the transaction process and closed or bailed on it, because it's arduous and it um, it's quite invasive <laughs> from just a personal standpoint, all your information, but it it quickly exposes what you got together and what you don't. And, you know, you're not joking when you said it's a second full-time job. And a lot of people just completely underestimate that. 
Yes. And they told us, you know, they definitely told us this is this is what the next six months it is going to be more work than you imagine it will be, you know, um, but you just don't really understand what that means. Um, thankfully, felt like we had a lot already organized. Uh, it was more so on the side of uh, just just the the sheer amount of documents that were going to be needed. And a lot of things that I just didn't um, understand as, um, you know, not having had any kind of financial background, um, you know, on it, especially on a tech company. Um, those were the things that took a lot for me just to work, you know, late, late nights um, to get together and uh, a lot of a lot of help with, but it was so worth it. I feel like you know I haven't gotten an MBA, but it felt like um, what I imagine getting an MBA is like in six months' time. Right, all crunched into a six month timeline. <laughs> exactly. How many employees did you guys have at your peak when you were going through that that process? Uh, mid. 30s. So there were some somewhere between like 32 and 35 of us uh, working together. So the concept of selling is appealing to a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Especially if you don't know that arduous process of, of everything that it goes through. Um, is, so I appreciate you just diving into some of those things of giving them a little bit more specifics. Can you talk about the other side of it, right? Because you didn't just do the exit and walk right out the door. You also stayed on in an advisory role and there was a transition period and all that. Uh, what did it look like after after that transaction happened? Sure, it you know, um, the very beginning, it didn't look a lot different because, uh, you know, everybody for our team, especially, they all had the same roles. Um, we weren't getting a sudden influx uh, into the business that we had to do a bunch of hiring. Um, but we were basically building out a, a platform of tools. So it was more of looking at other companies to acquire. Um, so, you know, I think the biggest change was that uh, Dan and I were no longer the ones making all of the, um, the directional decisions. And, um, you know, what what do you do? What do you not do? What do you spend money on? What do you not spend money on? Um, so those were, I think, the biggest pieces that were different. Um, having a, a board that, um, you know, we weren't the only ones that, <laughs> that were meeting it and making decisions and moving really fast. So um, so in that sense, the decision making slowed down a bit in some areas. And then there was another layer of it um, in, in other areas. Did you step out of that COO role right away? I did not. No, I continued on through, um, by the end of, let's say mid 2000. So about a year to a year and a half later, um, I started to wind down and got out of it by the end of 2018. And then Dan did the same for, um, the CEO, and technology side of it about within about six months of that. I'm, I'm curious how that felt for both of you, but 
we'll let Dan answer for himself another time. Um, how did that feel of still being in that that same type of leadership role and now not being that majority owner of, of the company anymore? What did that feel like afterwards? Sure. So are you asking, Ben, how it felt once I was out of the day-to-day operating role or still in the operating no, still, role? So you're still in the COO role, but now you're not that majority owner, right? You don't, or, or at least the, the partner aspect of it. So it's almost as if you exited, but stayed in, and now you're an employee in the C-suite. Was there a difference there for you in that day-to-day? Yes, I think it is for every founder. Um, and and if um, I think if send, someone says that isn't different, um, you know, it, they probably haven't been on the other side of it for very long. <laughs> so right. it's definitely very different. And and um, and I think we expected it to be different. Um, I think we weren't sure. You know, will we? like it or not, you know, do you, you just don't know until you get to that side. Do you like, um, what other folks want to do with the business or their, um, what they're deciding, or do you, you know, do you like being in that operating role that isn't, um, the, you know, what it, what it was at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I felt like when I decided, Hey, it's time to step out, it felt like it was, it was for me more about, okay, there's, there's another, um, there's another thing that needs to be started. And I think that's what a lot of founders find is that, um, you know, you have this dream of building, um, a company and solving a problem and, and have this mission in mind and there's a time that you realize, okay, what we were, what I was hoping for and hoping to accomplish, like that has been accomplished. And now it's time to pass it off and go do something different. And so that's what I think, um, you know, for, for me was the knowledge. And at the time I remember telling our staff about it and, um, comparing it to to leaving your first child at college, um, which I had done um, within the last couple of years um, previous to that, and so that's that's how it felt. Like you know, it's time. Um, you've grown them up to be able to go off and be adults, and you know they're ready, and yet you just want to sit on the bed and cry. Um, but you don't, you know, you say like, you're going to be great at this. You've got this. And, you know, I'm here if you need me, (laughs) bye-bye. And and that's kind of what it, what it was. And I think, you know, every founder gets to that point, whether it's, you know, immediately after the exit a year or two or 10 years later. Oh, that is a great word picture. (laughs) And, because it is your baby in many regards. I mean, especially when you've nurtured this thing like you did for as long as you did. I mean, you're talking, what, 10 years? Right. Wow. Between, we actually, right after, um, as I was transitioning out, we had the 10-year anniversary party for Sign Up Genius. So, yeah. yes. Another overnight success. 
Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, I think that's the one thing that I've seen also with so many founders, they get wined and dined uh, by private equity in particular. Hey, nothing's going to change. And it varies from private equity firm to private equity firm, but I've heard, oh, nothing's going to change. Well, everything changed, (laughs) you know, in most cases, it took a little longer for you, but you guys knew that something was going to happen. You know, they didn't buy you so that it would just be the way it, it was. But I think a lot of people haven't figured out all right, so what's next and where do I want to go? They 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 keep seeing the finish line of closing the deal because it's so all-consuming. And then what I've seen often happen is disillusionment hits because they're used to, they were used to the way things were. They knew intellectually that things were going to change. They didn't realize this or that was going to change. And then they start kind of losing like, well, where's the fire? Right. And, um, you know, I think that it, it's great awareness that you had it. And you're right. You you started something. You're a builder. Maintaining is usually boring to people that you risk everything and get something off the ground. Sure. Yes. And and don't get me wrong. You know, there's still I think for any founder, uh, once you exit, there is definitely that period of. OK, I didn't think my identity was all wrapped up in this. You know, mm. I feel like I'm a healthy person and I have other dreams. And yet um, there is a time period that you go through um, where you feel like, wait, all those, all my friends are still there. You know, there's, they still get up every day and they go in and they do those things that I love doing. And yet I'm not there. And so it does take time um, to process all of that. Um, but, and, and so I like to, you know, just to add that because it's, that is a process too, you know, just like it is when you, when you let your kids, you know, go or let your kids, but, you know, say goodbye to your kids going off to college. Um, there's a normal, natural time period where you have some grief. Um, and then you say, okay, you know, now it's time to keep going on with the next thing. Um, and, and I get to still hang out with those folks, um, and, and I can do the next thing as well. Yeah, that's a good point that not a lot of people talk about. And we, Gary and I have examples, obviously they're not our stories we won't share, but of people that have gotten physically ill after selling the business, well, for multiple reasons, right. But either way, it's part, that's part of what you're talking about there. Your identity is so wrapped up into this thing that you've been engrossed in for so long and all of a sudden you wake up and you don't go into work the next day it's it's what do you do right a loss of identity for a lot of people sure absolutely so so you had said you were ready to move on when you thought okay there's something else to build so talk to us about that next idea of how did that start to come to fruition for you yes well and that was not a you know a month later or a a um, couple months later, but um, for both Dan and I, uh, we just gave ourselves time to some downtime. And I think that's really important for folks too, of just taking some time to do the things that we wanted to do while we were building Sign Up Genius and didn't have the time for. Um, so, you know, Dan um, spent 
a good amount of time learning new languages. He had been out of coding uh, for a while at Sign Up Genius and um, doing a lot of the management of the tech. And um, and I, for me, uh, I was able to get involved in the entrepreneur startup ecosystem here in Charlotte uh, and get to know things like angel investing, uh, advising other entrepreneurs and, um, you know, was very excited to see that there was a startup ecosystem. Uh, there wasn't when we started in 2008 and it had come about and started to grow up while we were heads down. So I thought, you know, this is worth investing in. Uh, and then I also ended up uh, going to seminary uh, and, and starting um, or getting my MA in global leadership um, during the pandemic when things even in the startup ecosystem started to, you know, kind of came to a, a, a halt uh, for a couple of years. I went back and had always wanted to go to seminary. So it was a great um, thing for both of us to be able to do some of the, um, pursue some of those activities that we didn't have time for. And um, and then through all that had hundreds of ideas, you know, not exaggerating, hundreds of ideas of other companies that needed to be built. Um, and they just, we were always like, oh, this would be great. Yeah, but we're not the people to, to build that. You know, that's, and it was always, oh yeah, this would be great, but mm, that doesn't interest us uh, until we were coming out of the pandemic and both of us were uh, starting to meet with people again in person. So those, you know, you want to get together with an old col colleague for um, drinks and where are we going to meet? When are we going to meet? Or you want to go out for coffee or, you know, get some lunch. Um, and you suddenly have to go back and forth either by text or email. You're trying to figure out between Yelp and Google, how do we find a place and what works for them and what works for me. Um, so both Dan and I were doing that and realized this is kind of frustrating. And why, how come, you know, there isn't something easier. I mean, there's all these calendaring and meeting schedulers perfect for remote or in office meetings. Why isn't there something that helps you find a place and a time to get together? And that's when um, we both realized, wait a second, this involves organizing people and something that we both do a lot. We probably could do this. Um, we could probably figure out how to do this and, um, you know, provide that for a lot of people. So that's that was the impetus for what we're doing now with Meetify, which simply does that, um, you know, makes it easy to meet in person by helping people find a location coffee shop, restaurant, brewery, and then also the best time for them to get together. It's a cool system because you introduced me to it by setting up time at the Starbucks. <laughs> so. I did. Yes, exactly. It's all those times where somebody says, hey, how about we get coffee? Let's figure out a time. And you either do it by going back and forth, you know, through text or email or you plan to, but you're like, ah, I just can't get myself up for that back and forth. So you don't do it. So that was, I was like, okay, let me send you an invite, Gary. Yeah, the volley is real. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yes. and it is frustrating. 
Um, I, I, I would love to underscore one other thing that I thought is just really powerful. Ben, you and I have seen there's kind of an insatiable curiosity with pretty much every entrepreneur we've talked to. They love reading. They love learning. What's interesting, you you said, yeah, I didn't think my identity was wrapped up in it, but there is a piece of you that does what, as much as we guard our hearts against it. But what I love is that both of you took a little time to breathe and then dove into what you love to do, learning something new. You went back to seminary. You know, he he's learning new languages again because he's been, you know, off of that field for a little bit. I just think that's really fascinating. And anybody that's listening, if if we lose that curiosity, that's when I think we get into a danger zone, when we we kind of lose purpose and lose, well, what what's next? So, sometimes it's not even what's next. It's like, well, what, what do you love to do? Go throw yourself into some of those things that challenge you intellectually. Yes, I completely agree. That is, I still, you know, there's never enough time to learn all the things that um, that we'd like to learn. And I, I think that's true for most people. Yeah, it's absolutely one of the biggest correlations we've seen through this podcast of that, that insatiable curiosity to continue learning, continue growing in different forms, right? There are some people that love going to events, other people that listen to audiobooks all day and never pick up a physical book. There's other, it, there's so many different ways to do it. But that correlation we've seen is they find the way that works for them that they enjoy the most and they just continue learning and growing. Absolutely. I think actually my, my favorite uh, right now is podcasts. I think, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you listen to the Founders podcast? I do. Yeah. Okay. I think it was um, through listening to one of the anything but typical podcasts that you mentioned founders and got me hooked on that one. So yeah, that's another way that like, oh, a great, easy way to um, quickly learn, you know, autobiography and biographies of of, uh, great founders. Yeah. And a lot of those times, and there's one right behind me, Titan, the Rockefeller one that the book is massive. I've picked it up multiple times and I've never read all the way through it. And yet I can go on that founders podcast and listen to a couple hours on a run or something like that and and really start to learn about these people that came before us. So glad I could contribute a little bit to your your uh, your content and growth. <laughs> Absolutely. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um. So as we get towards the end here, because I promised Gary, I would not keep you guys on here for, for three hours. Uh. As we get towards the end, one of the things about Meetify that I thought was interesting I wanted to ask about was you're you're having these ideas and thoughts about doing this, but also COVID is either, you're either in the middle of COVID or it's right in your rear view mirror. Did that play a role at all into, into the idea behind Meetify? Because there were no in-person events or meetings going on for a while. Yes. I, you know, I remember two things. I remember my father-in-law at the beginning of the pandemic saying, oh, you you know, Dan, Angel, you need to think about some kind of um, technology for the pandemic. And, um, and Dan said at that time, and we, you know, we were both thinking, no, not something for the pandemic. You need to think about what's needed once we come out of this, because it's too, you know, it's already too late to yeah. be 
building something for the pandemic. Um, so that was a piece when we realized, um, okay, what is it that people are going to need coming out of the pandemic? And what um, is ex- so exciting for me, that the most exciting part of running a company to me is the mission. And um, for Meetify, I could see, hey, this is going to help people rebuild and build new relationships, yep. you know, and, and that um, by getting them together in person, um, which I think is um, is so needed for all of us, even when we don't realize we think, you know, I like I liked the piece of being able to connect better with my family during the pandemic, you know, the people I live with. But what we didn't realize is I miss being able to connect with those people outside of those that I live with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think now we're all seeing, okay, wow, this feels really good to connect with people in person again. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what we're excited about with Meetify is being able to help people build better relationships. Yeah, that's fantastic foresight. And the hypothesis is obviously coming true, right? There's so many meetings, even if it's just this morning, I grabbed coffee with a guy that I hadn't seen in years and we're both running businesses here and we just kind of lost touch and we're reconnecting and got together for coffee. Next time it'll be easier because I'll use Meetify and then we'll know exactly where and don't need the volleyball. But you're right. That is a huge need that I think a lot of people didn't know they needed of that in-person interaction and connection until it was taken away. Yes. Excited that it's, um, that it's back. Yeah. Yeah. We're all excited about that. (laughs) And I'm really excited. I got to meet you through our mutual friend, Julie, who is another amazing connector in this city. Um, Talk about somebody who likes to get together in person for coffee. Julie's later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is the truth. So thank you, Angel, so much for sharing so much of your story. Um, I certainly learned new things. Um, It's been extremely inspiring for me, and I know for the listeners it is too. Well, thank you, Gary and and Ben. I really um, have just enjoyed talking with both of you. And, uh, you know, now I want to sit down and ask you all a million questions. So (laughs) next time, that's what I get to do. (laughs) (laughs) You got a deal. Yeah, that sounds good. We can we can flip the script next time. (laughs) That sounds perfect. Well, perfect. Thanks, Angel. Anywhere before we sign off, anywhere that you want people to go, either to connect or follow you or to check out Meetify, anything like that. Meetify.com is the best place. Any device you have, hit the invite button. Very easy to invite somebody to meet up. And if you want to connect with me, LinkedIn is the best place to do it. Perfect. Thank you.